Hello, everyone, and welcome back for episode two of the Haunted Historian podcast. For those of you who've been following the Instagram page for a couple of years now, you may remember reading about our trip out to Mineral Wells, Texas a couple years back to help a local businessman and his family who were struggling to understand the activity that they were encountering at a new commercial property that they just purchased. That property was an abandoned military hospital and the activity was something that none of them had ever shared with anyone before. In today's episode, I want to take you all back to the very first night that Beach Army Hospital opened its doors to the Haunted Historian team and to the paranormal community thereafter. Today, The Haunted Historian is widely known for its efforts to travel around the country and unearth haunted destinations that are currently unavailable to the public in an effort to try and make them available to the public. But that's only kind of been the driving force behind the brand for a couple of years now. And it all started back in the summer of 2020 when I was working at a different job, Jackson Marketing, and we had this hotshot millionaire HVAC tycoon client out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And we're having a general meeting one day. He's running through all the property assets that his company owns. Millions and millions of dollars worth of buildings throughout the city. And he stops on one particular building that his ambition is to create into an HVAC school that would help veterans transitioning out of their time in the service come back and get involved in the trades. So it was a really ambitious, a really endearing mission that he had with this building. And the building itself was a 90,000 square foot hospital, a former military hospital that was based on what was formerly the Fort Walters military base. And sitting there acting, you know, professionally, not in a ghost hunter manner, my jaw is just kind of <laughs> dropping to the floor for a second. You know, how, how have I, or most other people for that matter, never known that this massive facility exists in mineral wells of all places, what is essentially one of the top five most haunted locales in the United States for paranormal and supernatural locations and happenings and all of that awesome stuff. What are some of the other places that are in mineral wells? Yeah, there's the Nazareth uh, Sanitarium, there is uh, the Baker Hotel, there is the White House. There's one other ma- like mansion slash house there that Portals to Hell, Ghost Adventures have all been to. As we're going through this meeting, I keep wanting to kind of interject and just not flat out ask, can I come there? I don't know if you know <laughs> what I do on the side, but I really want to be there. And I, I, I kind of figure the best course of action is wait till the end of the meeting and make a little remark. And we get to the end and I say, that hospital is horrifying. It looks haunted. Why would you ever want to bring military veterans there? And he laughs at this and then he just kind of says, you know what, it's funny you say that doing some very minor renovations and clearing the place out initially, we've actually had some pretty strange occurrences. And I'm just like, oh, you don't say. You know, (laughs) funny enough, I actually, for um, the past, you know, at this point in time, eight or nine years, have been traveling all around with a bunch of friends. We love renting out places that are are haunted. We like, we, we believe in that stuff. We love traveling around and just, you know, getting involved in that kind of topic matter, visiting those kind of destinations. And he's laughing. He's like, I had no idea such a thing existed. People travel around and spend money to be inside with ghosts. I'm like, yeah, it's a it's a, a very niche community, but it's very right. fun, very close knit. And we're laughing at this. The meeting ends, and it's not some twenty or thirty minutes later. Right as I'm about to go on my lunch break, I get a, an email from Brett, and it's two Southwest tickets. <laughs> He's just like, I will see you this weekend at the hospital. And oh, that's crazy. It is crazy. And who just does that? I mean, this, this, mind you, this isn't like um, 
some super kind gesture. This dude is a multi-millionaire. Like he's wealthy enough to just fly whoever I wanted out there. And I so suppose this, yeah. in retrospect, I could have asked him. So that's to... a drop drop in the bucket pretty much for him. Just here. Just come out exactly. for the weekend. My treat. Exactly. This guy literally just is, is paying for me to come out there and he wants me to by myself, as he expressed in his email, lock down inside of this hospital by myself and tell him and his family the next day if I think it's haunted. And if so, if I think it's good enough to be opened up to the public. Hmm. Now that it's a very intriguing offer. Some of the factors against it being that it is like the number one paranormal no-no to do an investigation by yourself anywhere, right. let alone the place that no one knows what the happenings or proclivities inside of there might be. And you brought and a this, gun with you, right? Oh, he, he gave me a gun. <laughs> he gave you a gun, wow. He, he gave me a gun. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely get to that, don't you worry. I, what, a, what a treat. What a treat, welcome to Texas. <laughs> I told my fiance, you know, I am going to Texas tomorrow to do this. She thought it was very strange, but she was excited for a live stream on the Haunted Historian page. Uh, I ended up bringing my boss with me from the company I worked with because he wanted to film a YouTube video for it. And so we just hopped on the plane. We jetted off to uh, the Dallas International Airport, landed around 3 p.m. that very next day. And the entire trip to the hospital, I shit you not, it was like an omen. I have never heard a pilot stop and say this, but he stops and says, if anyone's getting to a rental car or looking to meet anybody to exit the airport, you might want to do so fast because there's a massive storm coming in behind us. Mm -hmm. And I look, I look out the window, I look behind the airplane. It wasn't even a storm. It was like blackness, just night Ugh. had split the sky and it was creeping towards us. So we grab our gear, we grab our bags and we head out to a, a nice Jeep that we had rented to get out there. The second we get in the Jeep, it just starts raining. I mean, a torrential downpour with gusts of wind just throwing mm -hmm. us around everywhere. And I am just dead silent the entire hour and a half trip from Dallas to um, Mineral Wells area to get to the hospital. And my boss asked me, Connor, are you all right? I thought you would have been excited for this. And I, I was telling him, I'm like, you know, I'm on a big leave it to the universe, you know, kind of guy, but this just feels like an omen. Like, right, almost like you should not be going there. Exactly, because we had done research on the hospital prior to coming there. And the weird thing is that very little about the hospital exists. The, we, we called officials with the city, we worked with historians, we looked, we scoured the internet. There were little shrapnels of information here or there, but it was almost as though when the military up and left the facility, they took every bit of information that could have hold the story of each army with them and it just was left to wither away with time interesting what we, what we did find out and this is mainly from from locals that we ended up speaking with is that the hospital was the training ground for every helicopter pilot who was going to fight in vietnam so people who were growing up in the late 50s in the early 60s their everyday life be they in school at their house at the grocery store was just hearing helicopters flying overhead seeing missions being done just a parade of soldiers going in and out of this hospital mm. day and night for years and people being aware of the uh brutality of the vietnam war you can imagine how many soldiers were brought back there and how many soldiers would leave there and never come back or return only in a body bag. This hospital funneled all of it. It funneled every single person. And, you know, I, I, can't, I can't speak directly to what charges every building, every location in Mineral Wells, but even for a hospital to be the sole proprietor of death for an entire American war in large part, that is a hefty order and more than enough to genuinely stain its foundation to this day. We end up arriving around, I want to say 9 p.m. at the hospital. It is pitch black. 
It is five stories tall, and it is something truly out of a nightmare. And it, it only made it worse when we met with the owner, Brett, outside the back gate where he was going to be letting us in. And he let me know, uh, you know, just don't get too spooked in there, Connor. There are a bunch of feral cats in different rooms. So, <laughs> so you might you might see something that dart real fast, and it's just a damn cat. Okay, well, <laughs> so, at least you had company for that night. At least I had some kind of company. We weren't even inside before the first thing happened. But he was kind enough. He went out and got his Taco Bell, and we all sat in his truck, and he was walking through what had happened in the hospital when they first got there. Because up to this point, still, the hauntings there, in my mind, are nothing but allegations, nothing but rumors. The mm -hmm. history and people that we've spoken with, there's definitely a possibility, more than a possibility, some might say, that it can host a number of spirits. But obviously, no one's ever gone in there and documented it, so who the heck knows? We sit in there, he tells us the very first time he entered the hospital after buying it, he was walking through with his wife and his two kids, and they're just kind of pushing debris and glass away from the hallways, and they get to what was the former psychiatric ward on the second floor, a back room in that hallway. And it's painted green, it has a bunch of light coming in, there's debris riddled all throughout it. The second they get there, the wife walks in first and she notices something in there. And what she sees, as she described it, there were pentagrams drawn on the wall. Great. And on the ground was just like a bundle of debris, which you, you, you couldn't necessarily make out if it was something for a ritualistic purpose. Maybe somebody had been squatting here or something like that. But looking at how small it was and the circles that were drawn around it and the pentagrams on the wall, I, I, I kind of assumed like, people were doing rituals in here and they had their dog with them. The dog was completely calm the entire time. Brett says the moment they got to that room, their dog went berserk, started barking, started going insane, started jumping around. And when it was horrifying, they ended up leaving right after the dog tried jumping out the window in the room and Brett had to physically tackle the dog to the ground and drag it by its collar out of the room. They closed the door and they had some employees that worked for Brett at the HVAC company come in there and clear out that room personally and paint over the walls. Gosh, how horrifying. I was like, oh my gosh, he's actually substantiating that there right. could be a haunting right. here. And I've heard of animals doing that before. I've heard of a family moving into a house and obviously it's being ha it's haunted and multiple animals literally jumping through glass and falling to their death because they didn't want to be in the house. So if it's driving an animal to essentially commit suicide, obviously there must be something present. A absolutely. No, you're absolutely correct. I mean, that's one of the most common tenets in the paranormal, you know, young kids, animals, they can see things that older individuals tend not to be able to. And right. I don't know if you saw something, I don't know if the dog felt something, but no, it definitely reached that level where it was, I don't know if he was trying to kill himself or just trying, saw the first exit out of the room and went for it. Crazy. I can only imagine how shocked the family was because it was like the first time he told anybody outside of his family who was there experiencing with it what had happened that day. And the second he says it, the door that uh, we're going to be walking in here shortly that leads into the back entrance of the building, which is chained shut, mind you, it just slams. It slams from the inside. It's not, it's not being pushed in by the wind. It's as though somebody's on the inside of it pounding their leg against the door, and it's just like rattling the chains. And we all jump and look over there, and Brett just looks at me, and he's like, ready to do this <laughs> like, like, after that story i don't know i kind of flew i kind of flew here like oh i'm gonna see a really cool historical piece of americana but as we get closer we're going to this door it's like oh my god i might actually be in be in, in over my head don't worry it's just the cats just just, just, just keep the cats. just the cats really feral large cats We get into the building, you know, as you can imagine, 100,000 square feet almost, five stories. It takes about an hour and a half for him to tour us around the entire place. There's one room in the building 
that inexplicably has electricity and has a 24-7 light on. And that room is in the basement and it's the former morgue. Great. That's <laughs> all so I'm like, well, you know what? I, I appreciate that there's a room I could escape to. I will not be down there taking shelter in that room. I don't care if there is light. I will be up here on the first floor where I can get the hell out real fast. If I right, can. right. I mean, you know, besides being haunted, there are other reasons you might want to depart the building rather quickly. So it's, you know, nice to know that you had a quick exit there. Oh, yeah. No, and he, he had mentioned, you know, there have been instances in the past where people have broken into the building, but they'd boarded up the windows, they'd boarded up the doors. It apparently hadn't been an issue for a while. They'd had cameras installed. So, you know, it was still a possibility, but they had mitigated it for the most part over the three years that they'd owned it. As we were going hallway through hallway, room by room, all of which are connected and is like a maze to wander through, I felt so at ease. He could be in one hallway and I felt no dread going down an adjacent hallway, listening to his voice echo and peeking into rooms in the former um, infirmaries and nurses' wards in the psychiatric hallway when we got down to that area. I was completely at peace. And it really instilled that sense in me that this place isn't haunted. I don't feel anything. I feel light as a feather. It's really cool seeing this. But like, I've been inside at least a hundred haunted locations and even nights that it's inactive. You can feel something. There. Right, you can feel the energy. Absolutely, and you just, you did not feel it here. It's like, it was like hanging out in your own home. You were just at ease in your skin. You were, it, there was no inkling in you that told you there was something watching you from the corner, something was about to happen, or there might be a spirit inside of here. Well, yeah, just uh, just roll out your sleeping bag and grab a feral cat and go to bed, I suppose then, right? If you feel that comfortable. Nice <laughs> we got to the end of the tour and he walks back with my boss to the door that we walked in at. He looks at me and he says, Connor, this is your final chance. Like, it was cool. You got to come out here and see it. Give me your two cents walking through. But from what I hear, Stephen, my boss then, he has a nice hotel room down the road at the Holiday Inn. You can walk back, stay there, and you can leave the next morning. I'm like, I didn't travel out here to, to not do this. Like, it's going to be a rough evening. I'm not going to sleep well, either because of ghosts or also because I'm sleeping on a concrete floor, but <laughs> I am, I'm going to be here doing it. Yeah. So he's like, all right, that's what I was hoping to hear. So he takes off his bag he was wearing. He hands me a flashlight. Mind you, I, I already had all the equipment I needed, but he hands me another flashlight. He hands me a GoPro. He then uh, strapped onto my chest. He hands me a giant floodlight. And he's like, and there's one more thing. He pulls open my waistband and he puts a handgun in there. <laughs> he put, he grabs your waistband? <laughs> he grabs my waist because my, my hands are full of my okay, okay. The equipment he gave me, the equipment my boss gave me because he wants to do a YouTube video on this. So he just lifts open my waistband, puts a handgun in there, and I'll never forget it. It was like something out of a movie. He just looks at me, welcome to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> but then more seriously, he's like, you do know how to use that, right? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I've never shot a handgun, but I... Show me the safety and not safety, <laughs> and right. I will, I will, I'll get the idea. They walked out the door, and to make sure I was as secured as possible in there, anything on the outside, you know, again, mitigating that threat, they chained the door back up so that I couldn't get back out. And their plan was to come at 7 a.m. in the morning. So I had about nine, 10 hours before I would see anybody. And that so, was that was so nobody else would come in. Absolutely. Correct? Okay. But they, they certainly enjoyed looking at my face and the crack of <laughs> the board as they chained up and knew that I couldn't get the right. hell out. Right. I mean, who wouldn't, right? They, they really took pleasure in that. Yeah. But they did that. Uh, at this point in time, it's still storming. It is pouring down rain. There is lightning flashing across the sky. I mean, holy hell, it was like an episode from Scooby-Doo. It was horrifying in there. I grab all the equipment and I go into the cafeteria, the biggest room nearby where I was, and I lay down everything that they've given me and I make a game plan. Getting a hold of my nerves, because even if you don't think it's haunted, it's an eerie situation to be in. And I just tell myself, Connor, you've seen 
and you felt and you've experienced nothing that suggests this place is haunted so there's no reason to be nervous right and the only thing you've experienced up to this point would be the door slamming shut right absolutely and we and even then the storm was so violent we just kind of chalked it up to that i start walking i have the gopro strapped on i am on a live stream with the hana historian instagram page gun is securely in my waistband i got a the floodlight he gave me in the other hand, just shining a giant path as I walk. And I decide I'm gonna work my way up. Because the biggest thing that has been reported that they've actually caught on their security cameras in there is they say they see what looks like a little boy who walks by the front reception desk and looks very confused. Hmm. They can't tell what kind of clothes he's wearing. They can't even tell if it's a boy, but numerous people have seen off that camera what looks like a young kid just walking up looking around he walks down the opposite wing of the hall that he came from and just disappears interesting and like i said vandals were um, a very real aspect of of the building so they never knew if it was like somebody there was it a squatter who yeah it may be (laughs) who knows but uh, there were other more logical reasons to think that it might not be uh some ghost kid so i i start by walking down to uh the front entrance of the building opposite from where we came in and I'm standing right next to what would have been the reception desk, I suppose. And I just start talking. And I say something along the lines of, you know, I'm here with the owner. My name's Connor. This is where I came from. This is what I'm here for. You know, insert all the proper formalities here. And I'm just like, I've heard reports from some of my friends here that they tend to see a young boy over here. And if there's somebody like that around here or somebody who's been trying to communicate or might be as confused as they seem to think you are i'm here to talk to you you can communicate with me and it's quiet for a second and all of a sudden right behind me because i'm looking down both wings that are opposite the main desk you just hear a giant and i spin around and i look at it and there are a good couple hundred people on the live stream watching. And I just asked them, you guys, you guys heard that, right? <laughs> yeah. That giant thump. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, we, we, we heard that. And so I'm just standing there. And I'm like, okay, okay, that's weird. Piece by piece, Connor's kind of experiencing this place might be haunted. Mm-hmm. And so I say again, I'm like, was that you? Are you trying to communicate? Like, that was awesome if it was. Can you do it again for me? And then even louder, you hear it sounds like, like the front of a fist just knocking onto the wood trying to get your attention and the wood creaks when it does this Mm -hmm. it's not it's not like the building settling it's not the wind or anything yeah the wind's not even in here mind you it's like a force hitting it and i kind of i I took a step back i'm kind of taken aback by this i'm like what the heck i actually just kind of grab my stuff and i start walking back down the hall like okay something's up something is over there make note of that that's kind of weird and so now i'm kind of rattled I'm thinking activity seems to be taking place. So now we're starting to get some substantial activity. I'm gonna go back and actually get my investigative equipment, like the REM pod, the EVP, the EMF, rather than just the the cameras and the lights. Right, yeah, you made your introduction, something happened, time to get to work, right? Absolutely, it was, I was, I was thrilled to be able to break that stuff out and actually be able to uh, be the first one to actually interact with it. And what I learned as a very hard lesson this evening, I'll say before I get into all the details, what's so unpredictable about a location that has never been explored and no one's been allowed into for about the past 50, 60 years, since the 1960s, is that if something is present in there, you have no way of knowing how it will interact with you. And just as well, they have no way of knowing of how to properly interact with you either yeah that's that's the, the weirdest part is that they've never experienced this before either so it's it's a new experience for both parties which is an interesting way to look at it a lot of the horrifying encounters people have that they might paint the more malevolent picture in their head of is very often if not more often than not an entity that just doesn't know how to get your attention or doesn't know where the line is or maybe didn't mean to have you hear what it just did And it was baffling what happened next because I grabbed my material, I kept the GoPro on, I figured whoever wanted that video, we could share it amongst all the parties, and I just turned around. 
I made it out the front door of the cafeteria to head back into the, to the hallway. And as you walk through that, through that door to the cafeteria, you're met by three different turns. To the right, you can exit the building down a hall. To the left is the hall leading back to the front reception desk where I just was and I heard the knocks. Right in front of me is a massive corridor that is the stairwell, an unnecessarily big stairwell, one that looked as though they were moving something crazy through it back in its military days beyond just people going up and down the stairs. And I stop right in that intersection because from where I'm standing, I can hear so definitively a man and a woman talking on the floor directly above me. And I stop. I just keep my ear into that doorway, into the stairwell. It echoes like you wouldn't believe. And I, I just hear them conversing. I hear no words. I hear no inflections in their voice. Just a man and a woman. And they're both speaking what sounds like to each other at the same time. Hmm. And finally, I just kind of talk up there. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm here with the owner. Like, we're doing... Um, an exploration of this property like i'm not going to get you guys in trouble or anything like that you know no harm no foul but if somebody's up there i need you to come down right now i'll escort you out of the building and that can be that nobody has to know you're here it's not an issue i'm literally like 24 years old this is a similar <laughs> thing that i might do god knows so you're approaching it as if it's trespassers at this point yeah it was because i have heard disembodied voices uh, clear as day. I've heard whispers in my ear, uh, things in separate rooms. You you learn to know what it sounds like. Right. And while this didn't necessarily sound human, the tone and the gender that you could identify to it was so startling with the naked ear that my first thought was, this this can't be a ghost. Right. And the second I say that upstairs the voices go quiet and I'm just listening and I'm listening. If you heard footsteps come down, cause we were going up and down them to see the different floors. Like you could tiptoe and you hear it. That place echoes so annoyingly loud in this case, horrifyingly loud, but I heard nothing. Instead, what I hear are shuffled footsteps and they're coming from right behind me. Oh. When I say right behind me, they're coming from the cafeteria that I just walked out of. I quickly turn around. The one flashlight I brought with me this time was a giant floodlight. I just shine it into the cafeteria. And I'm like, I just heard that, right? And you can actually see the plumes of dust in the debris. You can't see the footsteps, but you can see the trail of dust following along towards the table where my equipment is from like the back corner of the room. Mm -hmm. I'm just sitting there looking at it like, hello, somebody there? And it, again, mind you, it's heading towards a table with my equipment. Like, it's never seen this before. Maybe it's trying to use something. Maybe it heard what I'm trying to do with it and it wanted to speak into it and didn't know that it wasn't on. But no sooner do I say that, than down the hallway, you hear the echoes of the desk being hit again. And so I turn the floodlight in that direction. And so now I'm in a really peculiar position. To my left, there are voices coming down the stairwell. To my right, there are footsteps coming out of the dark corner of the cafeteria and moving closer towards me. In front of me, there is something physically hitting the desk, and I have reason to believe it is a small boy trying to get my attention. And I am kind of just baffled. I'm like, you have two overarching scenarios here. Make one of these turns and deal with what's in there. Mm -hmm. Or you turn the hell around, you try and get out of this building. Right. And so I'm, I was... I was baffled, I was horrified, I'm like, what the heck is happening? And so I stand there, I was gonna take my chances with the, the young boy up front. No sooner do I take one or two steps in that direction, all of the HVAC ducking that was like resting and nestled on the shelving along the walls, it comes off the shelving and just smacks onto the floor. And when I tell you I like, gasped and I backtracked. I walked out of that that area so fast. I just went and stood by the front door. Like I just I about ran. I was scared shitless. <laughs> I'm just like I'm I'm being like encircled here. Right. It's yeah, because you've experienced that. multiple entities so far is what it sounds like. I did. And again, I it was 
it was damning activity. It was damning experiences, but not, none of it was malevolent by chance. I mean, you know, poltergeist activity, throwing heavy HVAC ducking off of a, a wall is pretty fucked, but, <laughs> but alarming. Yeah, but it, it, I don't know. And no sooner had I made the thought of um, generally just thinking, none of this is necessarily evil. Connor, they want to interact. Go interact with them. Right. And I'm thinking this is not necessarily bad. This is fine. And the second I just in my head mentally think that, you hear the heavy doors on the second floor in the psychiatric ward, primarily the two doors that included and was right next to where the where the supposed satanic rituals were, just slam. I mean, slam shut. And mind you, I had never seen doors like this, so when I got the tour, I was like, look how heavy these things are. I'm yanking them left and yanking them right. These are heavy doors meant to keep very disturbed people inside of there, unfortunately. And you had to grab it with both hands. You had to yank that thing with your body and clap it shut. Yeah. So it wasn't the wind that did that. It wasn't a, a gust. It wasn't a, a scurrying cat. Whatever did that, did it so fast, it was like they were slamming the door to the front of their house. They slammed it faster and they slammed it harder than I could, which means whatever just did that is a lot stronger than me. So that was a horrifying prospect to realize the second it happened. I'm, I have very rarely experienced the sensation of your heart going into your stomach. But I heard that. I'm like, all right. So every direction on the first floor, spirits are coming. And apparently, whatever the hell's on the other floors is getting ready to come on down to. That's a big old party. I know. I, I, I run. I run into the cafeteria. I grab the equipment. I grab my book bag. And I go to the room closest to the exit door that there is, which is an abandoned girl's restroom. Uh, and it's one stall. It's like a 10 foot by 10 foot room. So a pretty small room. I run in there. I slam the door shut. There are two cinder blocks in there. I wedge them up against the door and I brace my back against the stall and my feet against the cinder blocks. So whatever the hell just through that door closed tries to get in this room, I can hopefully hold it off for a second. Right. And I immediately whip out my phone and I call Steven, my boss. And I'm like, Steven, Steven, are you there? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm just hanging out in the hotel. How are you? <laughs> I'm like, Steven, Steven, listen, just just listen to me. It's haunted. Okay, come get me. It's haunted. <laughs> he's just laughing. He's like, you've been there for 45 minutes. You're supposed to be there for nine hours. I'm like, I thought it would take nine hours. This place is wild. Come get me. He's like, all right, all right, run me through what happened. I give him the brief 30 second rundown, just saying what the heck just happened to me. And he's like, well, that is, that is pretty crazy. You're sure it's not a person. I'm like, I am a hundred percent sure. I saw most of this stuff happened and there was nobody there but me. And so I, I get halfway through my next sentence, kind of asking him again, just get in the Jeep, get your ass over here, unlock this door and get me out. That I stopped mid sentence. I'm like, wait, wait, Steven, listen, he's like, what? I take the phone and I put it down to the crack at the bottom of the door of the girl's restroom that I'm in. And I say, just listen. Because as I'm talking to him, I hear the same shuffled footsteps that were sending up plumes of dust in the cafeteria. The same sound, just shuffling down this hallway and coming towards the front of the door. Hmm. And so I'm just sitting there. I mean, I am scared shitless. Believe it, believe it or not, I have the gun out of my waistband. I'm like, am I about to shoot a ghost? Like, I'll do it. I'll, I'll shoot a ghost. It won't do anything, but I'll do it. Right. And he's like, just give it a second. It's got to get closer to the speaker. And all of a sudden, it comes right up to the door, and it just stops. And he's like, are you moving around? I'm like, no, Steven, something is on the other side of this door right now. I'm just whispering into the receiver as quietly as I can. He's like... Like, that's you moving around like Steven I'm sitting here on my ass barricading the door like I'm not moving something's out there and the second I say that you hear this ethereal male groan it wasn't uh. like wind it was weird it was like someone who'd been trapped in a cave for 60 years they forgot how to actually talk you just hear something along the lines of 
Steven hears it. I grab the phone. I'm like, did you hear that? It's like, oh shit. I'll see you in the morning <laughs> and, just hang, <laughs> and just hangs up. And I'm sitting like, God damn it. So the gun comes off safe. And I'm like, all right, Connor, think logically here. This could be an intruder. And so in, of course, you know, a guy who's never shot a gun, whipping it out of your waistband, cocking it and taking it off safety, gives you a little bit of a thrill, a little, little bit of adrenaline. So yeah. I, I move the cinder blocks over and I whip open the door. Nothing is there. But what you do see is coming about 50 feet from the cafeteria, the same plumes of dust kicking up the debris from something having dragged its feet. And there's nothing in any direction. And I know for a damn fact, it is still standing right there in front of me. Oh. And so I just kind of look directly at the wall across from me in the hall, as you always do, like maybe this is the time my eyes will actually be able to catch a shimmer in the, in the air or something or see some outline of a silhouette right I see nothing i slam the door closed and i just barricade myself back in there for what was essentially eight hours and 10 15 minutes i sat gun cocked pointed at the door in that restroom and didn't leave once i heard things i heard voices i heard footsteps I was horrified. I had one hour of battery on my laptop and watched The Office for comfort until it died. <laughs> okay, so I have to say that for all the people out there who are calling Connor a big baby at this point, when you're alone in a property as big as this and you're experiencing things that vividly, I would do the exact same thing. I would be in the stall next to you with a gun and The Office that would be the best spot for me for the rest of the night because that must have been absolutely horrifying. It, it, it absolutely was. I sir, I appreciate you coming to my defense there. Yes, I will. And, I will. Um, I will say I would. I would be in the exact same spot as you were. It might have been a bit different if my mindset wasn't wavering left and right the entire time coming there. If I wasn't so convinced in myself that this place isn't going to be haunted. That's why I've never heard of it. That's why no one's ever talked about it. A place this big doesn't go unnoticed for 60 years by the paranormal community. I thought, obviously, it's not haunted. So it wasn't even just the experience. It was like the world coming down, your mind making a 180 and shocking the hell out of you. The most horrifying thing happened the next morning. This, this, there's a, a small slit of window at the top of the restroom and you can see the light start to stream on through. And when I say this is something out of a horror movie, I truly mean it because it had thundered, it had lightning, rained all night, horribly. The second the sun shines through, the second the morning arrives, the storm is gone. I gather up the material, which is like two handfuls, like I make two trips. I, uh, the door is unlocked by Brett and Steven and they're waiting outside in the car. Um, the only reason I'm in there alone at this point is because I always promise my my dear mother, <laughs> who knows that I venture around to, to BFE Texas and places like it and stay in abandoned places like this, I will let her know I did not die. Yeah, I can relate to that as well. <laughs> it's they, she, she, especially in this place, she wanted it. And also because, you know, she, uh, of, of everybody in my family, she had a strong interest in this stuff too. So I like to be able to FaceTime her and show her around, let her see the place. She likes to kind of live vicariously through me. She doesn't like doing it, but she thinks it's interesting and always has questions. And, and I absolutely love that about my mother. So I pull her up on FaceTime. Uh, all the gear is sitting by the front door. Brett and Steven are waiting for me out in the Jeep. I am walking her around the first floor and I'm telling her about some stuff that happened last night. Oh, that sounds horrifying, Connor. I, I, I don't know why you do this stuff. It sounds, it sounds awful. Like, I am glad you made it uh, through the night. Get home safe. I'll uh, talk to you when I, whenever I talk to you next. Yep. And that was that. And uh, as we're kind of saying our goodbyes, I'm walking towards the, uh, the back exit. But in, in her view, she can obviously see me as I'm walking towards it. And she can see behind me. And she goes, uh, just kind of like, oh, who is that? I'm like, who? She's like, she's like is Steven there too? Let me, let me say hi to him. And I'm like, no, they're all out in the car. And she's like, oh, okay, sorry. I thought I saw somebody standing back there in the cafeteria. 
I'm standing there like looking at her and I'm just like, no, no. Thanks mom. Here. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for pointing out the ghost behind me. I know. Right. But she, 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 uh, she played it off so quickly as though it wasn't anything. Right. And so I continue walking. She's like, there it is again. I'm like, what is it? It's like, is it standing? Like, do you see something standing somewhere? She's like, no, it's not that. It's like that door back there. You said leads into the cafeteria. It's like someone's like peeking at you. I, I, I turn around like from the camera and I'm looking back there and you know, it's a, a dark hospital still. So even with the daylight in there, it's still very dim. I took the flashlight out and I shine over there. I go over and I lean around the corner of the door. I got, it takes like 20 seconds to walk over there and I'm looking around I'm like, no, nobody in here. I'm like, I'm, I just kind of say, you know, it, it's a, it's a dark place. Believe me. I was seeing things all night. It's weird. And she's like, Oh, I didn't think it was that. I, I literally thought Steven was there with you and he was helping to load some stuff up. I'm like, nah, he's out in the car. I'm getting ready to go out there. And she's like, huh. And you can see that she's kind of just not talking anymore. And she's just looking back there, kind of ignoring me. So yeah. I start doing it too. I kind of ignore her just on the phone. I, I watch through the screen to see if anything's back there. And she's just like, sorry, hold on. I just want to see what happens again. And we stand there and clear as day, you see what is like the torso up to like the top of the head, peek out around the corner of the door frame and look at us and then dart back in. I grabbed my shit and I ran the <laughs> fuck out of there. You should have heard my mother say, did you see it? Did you see it, Connor? Did you see it? Look, I saw it, I saw it, shut up, we're leaving. We're getting the hell out of here. Just shut up. Just shut, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> I gotta go. Um, and something that I didn't really make note of, but that, um. I thought about in the car ride there as I picked everything up looking behind my shoulder to see if someone was following me I picked everything up I crossed the threshold of the door to go to the outside world for the first time since yesterday evening and it's important to note a lot of the devices especially the flashlights had timers had very specific battery lives I was utilizing them on a rationed basis throughout the night so that I could try and maybe have night light all night, but I planned on not for most of it. They had inexplicably all remained alive the entire evening. I have no idea how. I crossed that threshold and I didn't take two steps. I didn't like wander around. I crossed it physically. Every tool, every device, every light I had on me in synchronization you hear a chorus of bleeps and beeps and powering down sounds everything dies instantaneously the second i leave the hospital interesting because normally that stuff would die when uh spirits are sucking the energy out of it, it, they, it that's, that's what you would think and it's like i a reverse. felt bad my my very first thought was because that because you're correct i thought like they were feeding off of this stuff and Beyond that, just naturally, they wouldn't last all night. And so I actually thought, like, maybe was something in there keeping everything alive for me so that I'd have light all night? Oh. Like, was, like, I'm sitting here like, something's weird, things are being mean, like, they're they're ganging up on me. And I'm like, was I wrong? Were they trying to, to help me? And they're trying to interact with me and make me comfortable in there with light? Mm -hmm. And so I, I turn around before I walk down the steps to the Jeep. And I look in the hallway, it's my job to chain the door back up, and I just yell down there. I say, just so you know, I have the power leaving this building to talk to Brett and open this place up for people to start coming in here for the next number of years to talk with you and to investigate this building. Like now is your chance to give me something definitive. Make a sound if that is not something you want, if you don't want people coming in here. I'm like, our, if you do want that, do nothing. And they'll be here soon to figure out who you are. There's this massive metallic bang. That sounds like it's coming back from where the kitchen is. And so I just stand there, I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I take a step back, I chain up the door, I grab the material and I put it into the back of the Jeep and we're driving away and the only thing i'm thinking is i can never come back to this place because even though they told me not to open it up i'm sure as shit gonna open it up
we got back uh, in the car. Brett dropped us uh, off the airport. He went home. It was a quiet airplane ride back to Phoenix. Put together a great post on it for the Haunted Historian page. And we got to work right away, creating a website for it, doing marketing for it, uh, spreading the word that Beach Army Hospital exists. And let's get as many people in there to identify these spirits as we can. It was short-lived, lasted about six months. The fire marshal ended up shutting it down, the operation there, public ghost hunts, because there were no sprinkler systems. It was a, it was a bummer, because we were, we, were, we were so close to getting it such wide recognition. Uh, when it got closed down, we were on the books for three weeks later for Ghost Adventures to come there, do, a, do an episode. And in four months, that April, uh, what would, would have been April 2021, Destination Fear was going to be coming out for an episode two. And we had talks with other shows as well. We had teams coming in from across the country and the experiences they had there, actually seeing apparitions, corroborating one another and the experiences that we had getting EVPs. It was, it's incredible to see a haunt that you single-handedly open up with no knowledge of what's in there, who's in there, what their story is or what they need. And you bring in the paranormal community and bit by bit, you get names, you get reasons why they're there. You get things and messages that they want to convey. You start to see these things. They, there were numerous teams that reported on the third story running into what looked like a time looped uh, spirit of a nurse who would walk out of a room and stand by a wall and look like she was writing on a clipboard and then just walk into another room and disappear. Ugh. That was one of the most popular accounts. And I, it, it, it struck a chord with me that the haunted historian was able to open this place up and for the first time give these spirits a voice. And from then on, for the past number of years, that's what we've aimed to do. I don't do too many investigations anymore. The ones that I do do are places that nobody has ever been to, have been off the books to the paranormal community and investigations have never been allowed. And I do it so that at the very least, we can offer those stories to the paranormal community and at the most similar to Beach Army Hospital, open it up for the world to come and see. It's really an effort at this point to expand the community, to expand the offerings, to expand the stories, to expand the help that we can try and give to these deceased entities. And, you know, before it was just kind of a collection of um, haunted locations, but now there's um, a driving mission behind what the Haunted Historian does. And I've never been more proud to be um, a part of the, the team that runs the page. So it all started here with Beach Army Hospital. Hopefully it'll be able to open back up to the public one day, but for the time being, that was the first investigation to ever take place there. One of the things when we first uh, got introduced to each other that attracted me to the page and to your personality was that uh, we're here to give these spirits uh, a voice again, uh, especially if they've been locked up in this hospital for so long with nobody to talk to. We're here to uncover their stories and to allow other people to further the research with their investigations. It, it's very exciting and interesting to experience things and see things and get great EVPs, but to unlock the history by getting uh, this information from somebody who technically shouldn't be there anymore, it, it's one of the most exhilarating things that you can experience. I could not agree anymore. That's absolutely correct. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of, you know, this and that with different teams. Some of them are just seeing how good of evidence can we document and collect from our ventures here and there. But, um, at the end of the day, you got to keep in mind that this isn't a novelty. These are actual former human spirits, for the most part, that you're interacting with that are here and in many instances need your help and you treat it like a game. And I, I always kind of keep, keep myself the mindset that, you know, we're all going to die one day. And a lot of the times it seems to be the paranormal community that is like the only entity there is trying to interact with other planes of existence. And I just sort of think we need to lead the community in a spot where their only driving purpose is to alleviate these entities and help them as best we can, because one day that could be you. Yeah, that's the best way to look at it. You know, it's it's an experience um, in itself. It's basically going back in time in some of these situations and 
Uh, that's the closest thing we'll ever get to time travel, I suppose, is going to places like the Beach Army Hospital and unlocking spirits that have waited for so long to talk to somebody. Absolutely. If anybody is interested in putting a picture to the story, you can go on YouTube, you can search The Haunted Historian. I genuinely hope that in continuing our correspondence with uh, the owner there, with Brett, one day we can get it back open, one day we can have it televised, one day we can make it where it's not just appearing on the episode of a podcast, but on TVs nationwide. Yeah, and I think after hearing your story, uh, being locked up in a bathroom the entire night, we need to get a real team back out to the Beach Army Hospital uh, so we can experience every floor and not just the women's bathroom. <laughs> yes, I, I messed up. <laughs> I will do better next time if and when that next time comes. But believe you me, I want that opportunity myself. I can't tell you how many times I kick myself in the butt like, damn it, Connor, you do investigations all the time. Why didn't you take advantage of this to the full extent that you could have? And again, it is a night and day difference when you're by yourself there. 100%. If anybody is criticizing you right now, I want to reiterate how terrifying it is to be in a place, let alone a 1,200-square-foot house that is haunted to this level, but being in a 90,000-square-foot army hospital by yourself and you're experiencing that level of activity, I would be locked up in that bathroom right along there with you. Well, hopefully if we get the chance to go back there, that's not the reality. But but, <laughs> but for now, that uh, until, is but for now, that's the reality. <laughs> I was gonna say, for now, that is the story of the haunted historian unveiling Beach Army Hospital. Be sure to check out this week's show notes to find links to the Haunted Historian's Instagram and Facebook channels, where you can follow along with our team to see the latest locations we've been tracking and where we plan on venturing to next. Tune in next week for episode three of the Haunted Historian podcast for more untold stories of paranormal investigations inside some of the world's most haunted destinations. The Haunted Historian podcast is written by Connor Gossel and produced by Josh Hughes, with original scoring created by Tyler Quinn. <laughs>